Hey, it's Darren Johnson. I'm here with the uh, weekly newspaper podcast today. We have a special guest. It's Leave Tigerson, a resident of Greenwich. How you doing? Good. How are you doing, Darren? Good. How would you like me to identify you? Like, what would you say? You, you do a zillion things. What would you say is, like, I just, in the bio, you recently wrote um, a guest column. And in the bio line, I just said you were a resident of the village of Greenwich because I, I thought that kind of encompassed what the article was about. But how would you describe yourself? Local entrepreneur, philanthropist, uh, community investor. Oh, there you go. <laughs> and uh, family. Uh, it's a big part of uh, who you are, too. I, I took a photo of you at the Whipple City Festival in June, and you had three triplets. Um, they, now, they're not identical triplets, right? What are they exactly? How do you identify? Fraternal, I, Fraternal? I, I guess the best way to put it. Two boys and a girl. Mm -hmm. And then that makes them the youngest of six total kids. So oldest is 18 down to one, the babies. So It's, it's crazy. I don't know how you do that with your schedule to have <laughs> three um, newborns in the house. That would be, that would be so hard. So um, this podcast is called the Weekly Newspaper Podcast. It's sponsored by the Greenwich Journal and Salem Press. It's a 182-year-old newspaper out of upstate New York, Greenwich, uh, Washington County. We border Saratoga County cover some stories over there sometimes get some pickup in that region too uh it's a this time of year it's a buzzing area and uh, we also like to talk about the struggles of newspapers in general and use this newspaper as an example of which um in i was in stewart shop recently and um i was actually i deliver the papers you know because it's such a small town paper it takes me about an hour and a half to drive to all the different locations after i get it from the printer and go to the post office and it costs about a thousand dollars per issue to put out a newspaper so I just bring that up for a reason um, you know to the thousand dollars is printing and mailing uh, those are the two big costs and they both keep going up and there are fewer and fewer presses so we have to go further and further um, to get it printed currently I'm going to Western Massachusetts and um, I was in Stewart shop and, and dropping some off and I don't really like dropping them off in Stewart shops because it's the way they treat newspapers is people pick them up and they read them for free and they um, a lot of people steal them because they think it's a free paper um, and so you know I delivered just a few to there but when I was there and I was checking out they I bought something and the clerk said hey would you like to buy one of our candy bars and uh, it, it helps us in our contest and I was like what contest is this you know why does Stewart shop have a contest uh, do you know about these contests that they do not as it relates to candy bars. I don't know. It's, I think <laughs> it has to one. do with, sometimes it's with ice cream pints or with something else. And I guess it's like the Greenwich Stewarts against the Schuylerville Stewarts who could sell more. But I don't know what kind of a, a contest, like who does it benefit? It benefits Stewarts, I guess. But seems weird for grown adults to be in, into these little competitions. But <laughs> that's, I don't know. I just thought it was interesting. Um, but... You know, one topic I wanted to bring up, and then we'll talk. We'll talk to you, Leave, um, and uh, find out a little bit more about what you're up to, some of your perspectives on your recent column, um, obituaries. Okay, so a newspaper like this, there are various revenue streams, and as I mentioned, our bare bones costs are a thousand dollars, and that's with everyone pretty much volunteering um, their efforts, including myself. So you know, those are our bare bones costs. So, you know, we already sell an ad on the front cover to cover about half the print cost. And, you know, some people say, oh, you don't, you know, newspapers shouldn't have ads on the cover. But we put it below the folds. You don't really see it on the stands. And, hey, you know, advertising is becoming 
harder and harder. It's a tougher and tougher field. And if an advertiser feels they can get some added value by being on the cover, it's kind of a good thing. There were some Israeli newspapers recently that just put a full-page ad on all their covers of a black box. And it created, like, international news. Um, but it was paid for, and some people debated the ethics of whether you should put ads at all on the cover. I think if it's clear it's an ad, um, then it's relatively okay. But then people bring up the fact, like, say the mayor bought an ad and made it look like an article, and, you know, then it starts to get into a gray area. That's where an editor kind of can come in and say, maybe that ad doesn't fit this paper, um, but try to be like the referee in this case. But obituaries, we've been getting fewer and fewer obituaries of late, and that's one of the revenue streams, and we don't charge a lot for them. Charge about $100 for a 400-word obituary with a photo. Which about covers, if you think about our print run, if we have two or three obituaries per issue, you know, that, that covers a portion of the print run, and it would be space anyway that we would sell to advertisers, and it's at a much lower rate than what an advertiser would pay for a half-page, essentially, ad. Um, so we feel like, considering the average funeral is about $10,000, a $100 obit seems fair. I know the daily papers charge three, four, five hundred dollars $500, so... Um, we put the obituaries in our paper. They go on in, in an historic archive. They're archived pretty much forever. We're the only paper in the region that had, that's on the New York State Historic Newspaper Archives. So um, I feel it's a good buy. I feel it's like something that's kind of, especially our readers have been reading this paper for 60, 70 years, and they were in it when they were young. They were in it when they were married. They were in it when they did something, you know, in college or high school. They were in it when they bought a business. They were in it various times. And it would seem like it would make sense for them to be in it at the end because they had such loyalty to this, to this newspaper. But we're not getting the obituaries anymore, um, especially from one particular funeral parlor. So I asked them, hey, what's going on with, uh, with the obituaries? We haven't gotten nearly as many. And they said that um, the kids don't want, they don't see the value in it anymore. The kids that come back, because the kids don't live in the region anymore, largely. I've had two elderly people who I knew read the newspaper living on my block. They loved it. They would talk to me about it. One would bring over their subscription check and say, hey, here's my subscription check. Um, both passed away in the past few years. And both of them would have, I'd see in their driveway, maybe the kids would come visit at Christmas or Mother's Day or something, and that would be it. So their driveway was pretty much empty all year long, and the kids would come in. And then both times, a flurry of activity at the houses, bunches of cars, and I'd find out, sure enough, the person had passed away. And in both cases, they didn't place an obituary in the newspaper. And um, so I asked the funeral home, why aren't they doing it? And it's like, well, they feel like no one reads newspapers anymore, is number one, they say, which is you know kind of disheartening. But I know that their friends read the newspaper because they'd go to like uh, Saratoga Seniors or Greenwich Seniors, and they'd all be talking about the newspaper. And I know a lot of those readers don't have the internet. So they're not seeing it on Facebook. And second, is Facebook really archiving these obituaries in any meaningful way? So... I don't know. It's it, That's kind of another nail in the coffin for these types of newspapers besides the cost of print and postage going up and the you know, number of advertisers we have disappearing. So I don't know if you have any thoughts on that in general, Leave, but... <laughs> yeah, I'm just blown away. Why wouldn't a, a kid want their family member to have an obituary in the paper? I feel like that it's tradition. And, you know, print, yes, 
it may not be as common, but if it's not in writing, if it's not on paper, it's like it never happened. Yeah, and that's what I'm hearing. Like, I didn't know so-and-so had passed away. Yeah, it's super important to, to have it, especially if it's in print, in writing, and it can be archived. Because mm -hmm. if it's digital and nothing is on paper, if the, the kill switch is hit, you lose everything that's electronic. Without mm -hmm. electricity, you can't have historicals. Yeah. So it, it would just seem like common sense to put something into a newspaper and to have that put out there. Plus it does, it reaches a different audience and then it is, it creates a keepsake for somebody to, to take sure, out. Sure, you could laminate it, yeah. And put it in a folder. Uh, it's another great way to document your family history. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I think that, I, I don't want to say my generation, but of my age range and younger, they, they've gotten away from a lot of, I think, family values and traditional values um, and it, it does result, uh, revolve around um, printed text. You, you don't see people reading a printed book anymore. I don't know how many parents sit and continue to read to their children. Yeah, that's a problem too. And I, I remember being very excited to get the journal press or any newspaper. Mm -hmm. All the way through school we got the newspaper. And in eighth grade, one of our daily assignments was you had to do a current event. You had to answer who, what, where, when, why, how and do a little write-up and the teacher would go around the class every day and ask us and i think academically we've gotten away from printed text and i think that that is just filtering into when we look at the preservation of family traditions and all that as it pertains to obituaries and, and the newspaper which is i think it's unfortunate i you know you want to keep that paper you know just like on the day you're born the people used to keep the newspaper from the day their kids were born. What happened in history this mm -hmm. day? What happened in history when, when you pass? You know, it's super important to have that stuff. Um, we bought a house that the previous owners left everything in it. Mm -hmm. And we're always going through the bookshelves and different things uh, in the books and finding old articles, old newspapers. I and mean, we're talking back to the 1800s we're finding sure. in our house. Mm -hmm. And it, it's just your own personal museum. So we mm -hmm. try to keep all the papers, especially if we appear in them, family, obituaries. It's just, it's not for us, it's for posterity. It's for mm -hmm. the people who, who are going to come after us. Mm -hmm. And I think that it does come down to family connectedness and instilling the value of traditions and family. Yeah, and I've noticed, um, I, I agree, and I go through the archives all the time too because I write the archive column, you know, where we go back in time. And these are people who mattered, and they did things, and, you know, they were very much like us, but they just existed in a different time. And it was important that they had documented um, what they were doing. And there are fewer and fewer newspapers like this in the state and in the country. And uh, New York State Historic Newspapers, they commended us on our newspaper actually trying to keep the tradition and the, and the history going. By I, I look at the history all the time, and I don't want the newspaper to lose that flavor, even though we're so much more limited than past newspapers were financially. Um, where they used to have whole offices and you know five thousand readers instead of one thousand readers, um, you know it was a it was a different um, different day, but um, yeah that part gets to me too you know is that understanding the um, the value of it I've noticed the quality of the photography that um, comes with the uh, obituaries too isn't always heartfelt usually sometimes it's just some photo that was grabbed off the internet or it's not the most flattering photo, or it looks like no planning took effect. And I notice this, too, with whenever a teenager is missing, the photo's always horrible. 
and it makes it makes me wonder if you know I'm, I'm not trying to be morbid or whatever um, if you don't have a good photo of your kid or your parent then maybe there's a lack of connection there you know maybe so if the kid ends up missing you know ran away from home and all you have is this horrible photo of them making a duck face and, and whatever on Instagram that's the only photo you have um, maybe you didn't put the care in there maybe you didn't order the school photos and maybe you didn't or in the case of an elderly person maybe you didn't ask that question hey um, dad mom you know um, you know, what's your favorite photo of yourself? doesn't even have to be morbid, like asking about the obituary, but what photo really makes you proud? Oh, the photo of me in the Marines, the photo of me, um, you know, when I was a teacher, whatever it happened to be. But it's, wedding day photo. Yeah, wedding. I want to be pictured with my wife or husband or whatever. Um, yeah, those types of things. And yeah. I've also noticed the care going down a little bit too. So I hope that, and you see it when you go on like Instagram Reels or TikTok or something, Old people are kind of, like, made fun of on those. It's really a young person's game. And usually if it's an old person, they're making fun of the person. They're playing a joke on the person. Or, oh, look, you know, grandma's saying weird things. Or that type of thing. And that respect especially isn't there right now. I'm sure it comes and goes. um, But that respect isn't there right now with... um, with the el- for the elderly, and that's that's a sad part of the newspaper. So a lot of my phone calls, we got a phone call just as I was starting, but I didn't pick it up. It was probably by an elderly person. I get about at least two elderly phone elderly people calling me a day about something about the newspaper. So it's a it's you know that's that's their connection to the community, and um, even if it doesn't you know make wild profits, I think there's still value there to it and keeping it going. Yeah, so, absolutely. You know that said, I think. If you do break it down to its minimum cost and you do have volunteers mostly helping with it um, and you do have an editor that kind of can keep it from going too right, too left, mm-hmm. it can be an interesting project to, um, to help keep a community going and it can be financially sustainable. It doesn't have to go out of business um, like other papers seem to do. But anyway, uh, we had a couple of late issues because July um, I did a vacation but then it screwed up the whole... Uh, printing schedule so i missed the early july printing schedule so i had to print more like mid-july for the early july issue and then that bumped the next one but we'll be back on track for august but i thought we had a couple of good issues since the last one uh since the last podcast uh we have um both in greenwich town both um republicans and democrats have declared their slates so that's interesting and i think it should be a close election um i know you've run for office on the republican side in the past but um you know just looking at it objectively it should be a close election because the last election was close Mm -hmm. and last time there were these minor party lines like independent they're not even minor parties they're independent lines that both the republicans and the democrats carried for petitions for so that people who don't really like Republicans or Democrats could have a place to vote for them. And that helped the Democrats actually win. Um, And this year, those minor party lines got knocked out at the Board of Elections. So it's just going to be pure Republican versus Democrat. So I think that'll make it even closer because the party lines, they skew a little Republican in this area. Um, so. Yeah, I'm interested to see how it comes out um, because that's that is big for both parties. Your NOPs, your non-officiated parties. Yeah. Uh, for people that don't want to commit one way or the other, or if you don't really identify with one or the other, uh, the the third party line really provides that out. I usually vote on those personally. You know, I look for like some kind of um, yeah, you know, just to 
I'm registered as a party that doesn't even exist anymore, the Independence Party. Um, they, they lost ballot status during the whole pandemic. But um, Cuomo, the governor, you know, he hates third par- hated third parties and uh, changed the law so that they had to get more votes for governor than in previous years. And only the Conservative Party and I think Working Families Party, uh, which, you know, don't really do well at the local level, both of them. Um, those are the only ones that survived besides the major parties. Yeah, and that's unfortunate, too. We're a multicameral society system you know, across the U.S. We should have many sides represented. Yeah. And it, it, it is, I think it is unfair to the majority of voters and citizens that, you know, you, you should be equally represented. It should not be bicameral. We are multicameral. And the avenues with which to make that more feasible should be accessible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, you know, my, my father-in-law is a third party. Yeah. And we talk about it all the time. You know, yeah. he's, he's not Democrat or Republican. And he supports his third party. And I support him in that. And yeah. it, we should have more third party support. Because we're multicameral. That's the essence of the United States. It's yeah, at the very least, it seems like, even if you do break it up by ideology and you believe in right-left, it seems like that middle is about just as big as the right or the left. Yeah. So if you can just kind of bring that middle along, that's how people win elections, it seems. Now, in some parts of the country, the right is a majority or the left is a majority. But in most of the country, that middle is kind of the one at play. Now, it could be middle-right or middle-left. But if you do believe in spectrums, um, you know, the middle is where, where the action is. It's your meat and potatoes. That's your real person. Because most of us, we don't operate in a all-black or in an all-white yeah. mindset. We do have infiltration of, of coloring and a you know, prism of beliefs. And so you know, having multicameral support, having third parties is so important to our country and to every level of politics. So that's going to make it, I think, a close election that um, people are going to have to, uh, those middle-of-the-road people are going to have to, you know, hold their nose and pick a major party. <laughs> <laughs> and that, you know, and, and I think sometimes that's where the parties sometimes make a mistake is they bring the ideology to the local level, the national ideology to the local level, and the middle doesn't care about that as much. They care maybe about their taxes and they the care about quality of life and maybe, yeah. you know, crime a little bit, although crime's not a major issue here. Um, but they, they do, you know, they, they want to know about, like, how does this affect them? They don't care about, uh, you know, what the Supreme Court's doing or, or something <laughs> like that. They, you know, they do at the national level when they vote for national candidates, but not not as much um, exactly when it's, you know, potholes or snow plowing or something. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, because <laughs> what the governor or the vice president is doing, it's really not affecting my potholes on the road or the, the speed signs that need to go up so people stop speeding at... The other night, a motorcycle went 49 down the 25 zone. Yeah, I get that. I, I live on a quiet street, and every now and then, especially once the count, the county fair is happening, they use our street as like a bypass, and the people just go speed on it. And there's kids and dogs, and it's like, uh, I'm worried. You know, I wish there were a way to slow, the, slow them down a little, but yeah. you can't have a cop stationed on a road with 10 houses. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, uh, there's nothing you can do about it except just watch your dog and kids. Um, all right, so... You know, speaking of politics, um, that's something that you've thrown your hat into the ring locally a few times. Um, what are some of your perspectives that you've gleaned? You ran at the town level, the school level, and the village level of Greenwich. So uh, is there you know, any 
advice that you've gleaned or what were what was your goal in running yes so uh, when I left teaching I had another professional goal and that was to get into politics I just saw a lot of things between my military career and teaching that I really wanted to have more than a voter impact on and so running for the the various offices for me was a way to really have that input into the outcome of what we all want. Um, you know, what you people look at jury duty as, oh my gosh, I have to go do jury duty. And I look at running for an office the same as I did uh, serving in the military. I'm, I'm continuing my public service. Mm-hmm. Um, I love to volunteer, be a part of the community, support people. And I see running for office as another way to continue to support my community. Um, especially with local, it's definitely not about a paycheck. Like, yeah. <laughs> I think you, with the time that you put into things, um, you have to really have your heart into it. And so much of what I did was just, it really was on my own. I let certain, you know, when I ran for town, I said, hey, I'm interested in this. Um, and at first... Uh, it was like, well, we got to get to know you first before we decide that we want to put you up for anything. So it took a few years, and then they gained confidence in me. Um, so it was a definitely rapport building. Um, with the school board, um, having been a, a former teacher and looking at a lot of the stuff that the state is putting into our school systems, um, I wanted to be a voice for other parents that um, aren't always equally represented at mm-hmm. our school level. And then with the village, it really was, I went in to pay my water bill and I was asking if anybody had thrown their hat in the in the, the ring and they said, no, nobody's even come in to ask about it and petitions are due in a couple weeks. And I said, oh, well, shoot, here's my water bill and, and I'll take one. Sure, why not? I, you know, I, I do a lot in the village and would love to contribute. Yeah. And, you know, that turned into what it did. But um, for me, running for office, um, it's really, I love my community. I say for every reason I moved out of Greenwich at 18 to join, the, or well, 19 to move and uh, join the military is every reason I came back. I want the safe, supportive community for my children, um, to be closer to family. And if you really want to have beyond the voter say so, and again, you've, if you're not one party or the other, your say-so in local politics and policies is very limited. The next best thing to help support your community and push things in the direction that you believe is best for your family, you run for an office. You mm-hmm. know, and it, it, it is very difficult emotionally. Um, when I ran for town, um, I was just harassed. Um, we had to file police reports. We had to watch out for my kids walking to and from school. Yeah. Um, right down to people slamming doors in my face. Um, My own family, it felt like I was very cut off because I don't agree with them ideologically. Um, It it was very emotional, a lot of tears behind the scenes of just feeling very betrayed by people that you thought would support you regardless. Mm -hmm. Um, Village running was also tough. I felt a lot of betrayal there, yeah. and that was completely neutral. That was just me doing me. That wasn't even a yeah. party affiliation. They don't even do parties at the village no, level. They're I, not supposed to anyway. Yeah, yeah and you just re- create your own. Yeah, and then you're you're. I, would, I ran the, like the Union Village Party to pull in the history and traditions of Greenwich. Yeah, um, and school board, 
that was also tough. Uh, I did a lot of research. I attended a lot of meetings and I, I had the strong know-how in the background and I can't tell you how many people I've come across since then that said, wow, you really knew what you were doing. I can't believe those other people won. <laughs> and I said, well, we live in a society where people vote for their best friend. Yeah. And when you vote for your best friend, um, you're not going to get the quality representation that's needed. So, yeah. I mean, you can you, you get what you pay for. And so we can see where things are going on all sides of that. You may agree with it. You may disagree with how things are running. Mm -hmm. um, but I see running for office as my continued service to my community. And mm -hmm. I equate it to serving in the military. It's just a selfless sacrifice to help keep keep community keep the unity and community and continue to support folks yeah yeah i ran for office when i was um younger and had the same feeling like you announce you're running for office your first one was the town which was larger scale and 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 then you, you start to you know you form a little political committee and you ask for donations and no one did no one i knew donated you know maybe a couple people gave me 20 50 dollars or something but no one i knew really donated i expected like this you know big groundswell and I think it's good to realize early on like hey I'm in this world you know there's not too many allies in this world and and uh and how do I do this the thing I've learned over time is I think it's almost you, you say you care about the community I think if you express that though too much it almost works against you um I think that I was coming in as a change agent it's like this is what's wrong with the with what's happening in, you know, I was running for assembly in Albany, um, and people don't like that. They almost want you just to say very vanilla, upbeat yeah. things, and that's how you win election, you know, and you could keep your, whenever I've met an elected official, that's what they do, and then behind the scenes when you talk to them, then they say really negative things, but they, when they're on the microphone, they almost never say anything that comes off as gadfly-ish or anything like that. Yeah, I, I always say you got to have hugs and high fives. If you say anything or do anything other than hugs and high fives, you you just you add fuel to the fire. You give them fodder, cannon fodder to yeah. use against you. So it, it it is difficult. You have to have a very thick skin if you want to run. Um, and it is like anything you say and do will be held against you. Yeah, I, I, like. I don't discount that you probably were harassed at various <laughs> levels because I know I was when I ran for office too. They'd send like private investigators to go say, hey, let's have a slice of pizza. You know, some big Guido type guy. <laughs> and tell you, it's like, yeah, you want a slice of pizza. You know, just try to try to intimidate. Um, because they didn't, you know, because I was in a race where I had very little chance of winning they didn't want me running too hard because that, like, uh, yeah, they would, they would, yeah, they would upset their candidates. They wanted to win on the other end of the ticket. So, um, you know, it's, it's both sides play against you. It's it's mm -hmm. interesting. Even your own party sometimes isn't your friend when you run for office. Now, at the very ultra town level, you know, I'm sure it's just very close knit. But, um, but at the larger like county level, it was a little bit um, disastrous. Yeah. I think another one of my inspirations for wanting to run is I had some former teachers who put their hats in to run for positions. And that just having been close to them since childhood through adulthood, very inspired by their you know, changes in careers, but their motivations and their actions. Um, mm -hmm. And to you know just look at somebody that you've always admired and say, wow, you want to run for Congress? 
okay, cool. Like if you could do this, maybe I could do something too. And it, you yeah. know, to find inspiration in my previous, I'll say, well, life, but when I was a child that, you know, the people who inspired me from childhood sculpted me into who I am today and to see where they go with things is, is you want to emulate that, you know, for good, you want to emulate the good and the good people. And so I've had some former teachers, both town and bigger run for offices and that it, it does. It inspires me. They're the people that made me want to be a teacher. Yeah. And, you know, so it, you, when you look at why somebody else, you know, why somebody runs, the other reasons why one might do it. Um, yes, again, giving back to community, but the motivation, the push behind that is the inspiration of watching former teachers and friends also run for an office. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That part is interesting too, and uh, you know, and then you know, the harassment and such goes away once you actually win, and then I've known, especially at the larger levels, um, you know, then they all want to be your friend, but they don't make it easy, uh, you know, so um, that, that part's always interesting. Do you think locally there might be, um, do you think it's harder for a female to be elected locally? I've seen it on both ends of the ticket, Republican and Democrat, um, so, except uh, for Sarah Eidelman, who was supervisor for a while, but she was a well-known former teacher. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Um, well, yeah, when I was running for town council, I looked at as well, whether Julie or I were to get elected, we would have been the first ever female council members in the town of Greenwich. Wow, that's crazy. And... You know, again, the irony that the GOP ran two females and the Democrats' independent line was was males. Your older middle-aged male is a little chuckleable there. And then this time around, um, Dawn O'Connor Schartz is running on the Republican side. So we do have another female running. But I do find it interesting. I mean, at the village level, we do have females on. Um, we have some lovely ladies on the, the village board and, of course, the mayor. Uh, but I think before Pam, I don't think there was other another female mayor um, that I could ever recall or have met hmm. with. Um, so um, maybe locally it might be difficult as a female to get elected in. Maybe not enough women run. Um, yeah, which is interesting because it seems locally, business-wise, most businesses are owned by women. Right. So it's and it's and you were you were um, president of the chamber of commerce too. Yeah. So you know that was um, that was a role where you got to see business in action. Yes, and most of the businesses here in town they are women-owned. Mm -hmm. um, I own a business. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's a lot of women-owned businesses. Um, but it's interesting when it comes to the politics, and me, maybe because we're so busy having successful businesses, yeah, we maybe. don't have enough yeah, you don't time need to it run for, for a, yeah, job that doesn't pay anything it's, uh, or um, pays very little. But yeah, and then I think not just you know men or women running for office, male, female. Um, I look at the age of people running, and you know what is your most accurate and best representation at the elected level when it is mostly retirees in these offices yeah. or folks that are, I'll say, old enough to be my parents' age but not old enough to be retired. We're talking 60s or older, mm -hmm. um, maybe even late 50s, but folks that are older and we don't see a lot of young folks. You know, I ran, I'm young, and mm -hmm. Reed is running. He's my age. 
Um, but you don't see a lot of younger folks. Is it because they don't have the time to do it because they're busy yeah. with careers? Is it because uh, there's no interest there? I do know when I talk with our friends, um, I don't even know that it comes of a, a male-female issue or even a it's sometimes party issue. It's, it's definitely issue-related, mm -hmm. um, again, the local things that we look at. Um, but it, we say, well, you're, you have the energy, you have the passion, why don't you run? Might be that lack of connection to the community, too. You know, you, you look on, we mentioned it with obituaries, and yeah. the kids of the older people don't buy the obituaries anymore because they don't see the value. They don't read the newspaper, too, as much. Um, a lot do. You know, the, we do have subscribers under age 50, but... Um, but you know, I'd say it's that's probably the dividing line. It's fifty years old, and and uh, yeah. and that divides the two. So that lack of community, and then you read like Facebook Greenwich Uncensored or something like that. The Greenwich um, site on Facebook page on Facebook, it's mostly garbage. You know, it's like they're not really <laughs> talking about issues of like, hey, you know, what about this? New Once in a while, they'll put something like the solar farm that's um, being proposed for Bald Mountain, but. Um, they don't, there's most of the arguments are just um, arguments that could happen anywhere in the whole country. You know, you could just yeah. move that argument to somewhere else and it's the same exact argument. Yeah, and it's not, I mean, again, it's keyboard warriors uh, versus an educated discussion. And, you know, I'll bring it back to our educational system. You know, we, we have removed a lot of critical thinking from mm -hmm. our education and our educational standards. So when you see that now, we, we're... A generation into common core and common core concepts which have eliminated the bulk of critical thinking and taking element analysis and going deep with it now it's more just concept attainment and brushing over the surface of it um, and so when you see that filtering into written text versus your keyboard warrior, you know, you can you sit behind a screen. We're all talking with the Wizard of Oz right now. Yeah. When you're the Wizard of Oz, you can say and do what you want. You're untouchable. But when it's hard on paper, it's tangible. Uh, the eyes read it differently. You connect with it differently. And we're dealing now, I think, again, the younger generation who have grown up with all electronics, um, yeah. screen time. They all function as a Wizard of Oz, and they're all behind a screen. And I think that that plays directly into um, how communication occurs, uh, the connection with tradition, whether it's you know honoring our predecessors through a written obituary uh, versus taking the time to find their photos, taking the time to do a thoughtful write-up of parents, grandparents, etc. Um, and also looking at, you know, why don't we see more young people running for office? Why don't we see the educated discussions happening rather than muck throwing and muck raking? Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of it is coming down to when you look at the ages of the the concept being discussed, the, the ages of the people discussing these concepts, discussing, we'll see your 50 plus, or throwing out one-liners to each other with with a... A meme. Yeah. You know, we're, we're going back to hieroglyphs. We are in a visual culture now. <laughs> I, I teach journalism at a local college, and uh, it's just, uh, you know, we, I've, I've become, I don't want to say resigned, because it's like, all right, that's how people are communicating. It's a different form of literacy, but it's, it's just a, a more visual um, literacy now that everyone seems to have. And I think that has a, an impact on local politics, who runs, who, who chooses to participate. Mm-hmm. 
um, whether running for an office, man or woman. Um, and I do have to, you know, to go back to the woman concept, because I was just talking with another friend of mine, um, and the concept of moms and motherhood. Yeah. And how society views a woman's role versus a man's role. And I think certain levels of politics may not be deemed as a woman's role, whether we admit it or not. I think some innate part of our brains tell us that women maybe don't need to do this. They should be in this role, owning a business. Sure, we've accepted that now. Yeah. Um, but to see strong women or women in a certain role, I, maybe certain parts of, of the psyche are not ready to accept that. Yeah. You see it with that whole Karen movement where they call everyone pretty much a Karen. And now everyone's, <laughs> if you go on like Reels or, or um, TikTok, every single woman between the age of 30 and 50 is a Karen. You know, like this Karen did this at the grocery store. This Karen did this and to her, sprayed her neighbor with a hose. And it's like that, deme- you know, we also say the older people are demeaned, but there is a, a type that gets demeaned and uh, it's, it's hard. Yeah, and I guess I don't see that happening with the male roles. Um, you really don't see it. If a guy could sit and literally say the same thing, and I, you know, I could look at, you know, I follow Tedisco, and um, he can say something, and then I watch Elise say the almost the exact same thing word for word. Yeah. He gets thumbs up and praises across the board. Mm-hmm. She gets torn down, and yeah. they, and it's a two word difference in their sentences. You know, difference in adjectives basically. Yeah. But the message is the same, and I see that across the board with a lot of different females running for. for or, in p- political positions versus the male counterparts, they can literally say the same thing almost word for word, but the men are better praised and supported. I'm tapping on the table. <laughs> uh, better praised and supported in the same idea that they are presenting, whereas the woman it is treated very differently. The responses are different to a woman. And I, I don't think people mean to do that. I think it is. It's like a subconscious. Yeah, I think it's that, subconscious too. That is being projected without really understanding it, and I, and yeah. I laugh too because it, it play, you know familyhood, motherhood, um, parenthood plays into politics because you know I've been throwing the concerts in the park. Mm-hmm. Well, we had the first one on. Yeah, Wednesday. tell us more about those. Yeah. Um, well, I, I laugh because you know my husband is a huge supporter of pretty much anything I do. My husband has given me thumbs up. He's behind the scenes. Uh, I couldn't do anything if it weren't for him. He's an sure. amazing man. Um, and he's an amazing father. Okay. If he weren't, I <laughs> he I'd kick his butt. But he's he's amazing in all of his support. And we were out in the park, and he's running around with babies and kids, and I'm running around crazy too. But afterwards, people come and say, "Oh, we love to see your husband helping with the kids. He <laughs> he does such a great job." Oh, geez, and I'm like, yeah. "You're right. He does." However. <laughs> <laughs> I do the same thing. Why yeah. don't you say "Great job, mom"? Yeah. To the moms out there, you know, we're the ones that do the the meal planning, the the budgeting for the meals, you know, and you know, the husband comes down or comes home from work. We work too, and you know, we can come home from the office, and it's still expected that we put dinner on the table, give the kids the baths, and that we keep the household organized. You know, Tuesday alone, I did six loads of laundry. Uh, and then yesterday I did two or three more when you have six kids and a husband there's seven of you living in a house and (laughs) like you do a load of laundry a day equivalent plus all the meal planning 
And, you know, until I came down from my interview today, I was knee deep in babies. And by 11 o'clock, I've changed nine poopy diapers on a typical oh, day. You know, and plus I made sure everybody had lunch before I came down here. And so, yes, I want to give my credit all the, my husband all the credit where credit is due. However, when we look at man roles, woman roles, I think we, we kind of, yes, we still, while we want to blur lines, we still hold a rigid structure in the roles that we, we subconsciously give to men and women. And whereas we say, wow, dad, you're chasing kids and push them in a stroller. Awesome. <laughs> but what nobody else sees is every Tuesday and Thursday, me bringing the, the babies and the three-year-old down to the library, yeah. packing everybody in the stroller, doing the same exact thing. Yeah. Uh, and I don't get that way to go, mom. High it's five. It's weird how things are. Uh, I've had clerks, you know, locally. Um, uh, you know, I have a, a daughter and a, a wife. Um, question me for buying maxi pads at the, at the uh, dollar store, you know, or whatever. Uh, at the grocery store, it's like, oh, you buy those? Wow, you know, that's that's really progressive. It's like, is that that hard to? It's something that you sell in the store. I put it on the counter. I didn't think anything of it. It's four dollars or whatever, five dollars, eight dollars. Here it is. You know, it's like I don't. I don't see what the what the big deal is. Yeah, why do we celebrate people doing something that is just relatively normal? And it's it's support again. I think it all comes back to a, a common goal. You know, if I didn't support him and his endeavors, mm-hmm. his music stuff. You know, I quit the chamber so he could do his. It was his turn. Yeah. You know? Years ago, I bought him his dream bass. I took him to the Kiesel company and I said, "You pick out whatever you want. I'll buy it for you." <laughs> So, lots of money later, he got the bass, and I said, but the deal is you have to join a band. Oh, okay. But I've been busy with the Chamber of Commerce, planning board, a business, and all that time, he says, you go, you do it. Mm-hmm. And it just said, you know what? No, it's his turn. So, yeah. I have to step down from something and support him. Within a week of me resigning, he's in three bands. <laughs> like, way to go, man. And they come over and they practice, and I'll take one for the team and continue to be buried in babies all evening. But that's what it's about. Yeah, it's sure. It's about supporting each other. We don't need dad roles, mom roles. My father raised us. I never had a mother. And mm-hmm. I saw what a man could do. And in my mind, any man can do that. Sure. And I think politics can be the same thing. And I think we need to stop with this dichotomy of psyche, man versus woman, and if we can truly accept, you know, the progressive—no, I don't want to say progressive—but that a modern mindset of women can do politics just the same, and maybe better yeah. than than men, we might see more women running at local levels. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, at least maybe here in the area. Again, I'd have to, you know, do do we actually have more men residents than women residents, and why? You know, to I don't think so. You deeper, that would be yeah, that would defy national numbers if we yeah. did. So I, I think we need to. We all have a subconscious bias that we need to work past, whether it's at the family level, the family dynamic level, political level, because uh, clearly. You know, we all support each other. I, I won't say one, you know, male or female is not better than the other. Um, but if you don't support each other in politics, family, community, you, you're not going to have progress. Mm-hmm. You can't even sustain if you can't support. Mm-hmm. And it would be great to see more women running things at the town level, more women getting elected at the town level. Um because I think that there could be an, another different perspective on that. Because mm-hmm. um, again, dad pushes a stroller, he gets the high five, mom's 
done being pushing that <laughs> stroller. And so she's already got like a stronger backbone going into something like politics where she already knows how to plow through, do the work without needing the support, without needing the high fives mm-hmm. to, to push through. And I think that that could be a, a good soft skill bringing into politics as women because um, we're already mindset to conquer and to be successful and we don't always need the, the leg up, the ladder, the boost up. Um, so, yeah, I think coming up with different ways to wrap one's brain around it, um, family level, po- political level, I think that we could see a bigger change in getting more women into offices. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, so we're, we're at 45 minutes almost. Um, let's, let's wind it down. Uh, what's next for you? What's next? Uh, yeah. Probably going to go home and mop the kitchen. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I, I have to figure out dinner tonight. I was going to do leftovers. No, uh, what's next? So next week we have Tom Keller and Space Trash and Lucky Puppy in Maori Park. The following mm-hmm. week is Diamond Cut Horns. They're a 10-piece horn band. They're local. And then we're going to support Adirondack Vet House, mm-hmm. um, which is housing for veterans. Uh, Jeff Vermet runs it out of Glens Falls. So you just came up with this concert series. And yeah, yeah, it's just like your own. It's not sponsored by the library, the Chamber of Commerce, nope. whatever. It's just like, hey, let's just do this. I'm starting to feel that way, too, with the newspaper. It's like, why don't we just sponsor things and... Do we need the blessing of, of some other group, you know, to do things? It's like I always felt like I needed people's blessing. But Yeah, I think that's huge, too. Like, I, I feel better in the, in my soul doing something independently. Yeah. Because um, I kept trying to get the chamber to do concerts in the park, and it was just resistance, and it wasn't the direction. I was like, well, they always did it in the past. Yeah. Well, so I said, you know what? I can do this stuff. My husband can do his stuff now. And... This is so much nicer. I just made some phone calls to get a little sponsorship from some businesses yeah. to help pay for the bands. And it, it is so much nicer. And, you know, it, it really is then giving back to the community. Again, that's an extension of service. Yeah. I, that's how I see it. And I, I, I'm enjoying it better this time. Mm-hmm. You know, putting that same time and effort into an event Without the extra layer of bureaucracy or something. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I know. that That's kind of where I'm getting to because I've been, like, you know, nudging people for a long time. Like, hey, can we do this? Can we do this as a newspaper? Can we do this at your place? Can we do this event? Can we do a booklet for your particular event? And I hear, like, oh, okay, yeah, let's think about it. I'll bring it to the committee. We'll do all this and that. And nothing ever happens. And it's like, why don't I just go ahead and do it? You know, it's the First Amendment. I own a newspaper. Yeah. I can do whatever I want. So I don't really need their blessing. But, I, you know, I was willing to cut people in and, and to do events with these big organizations. And so I'm glad to see that you are, you know, being um, a trailblazer for uh, these types of things. It's a little nerve-wracking at times. But yeah. my, my father always said, if you want to get nothing done hire a committee yeah i know (laughs) consultant or something yeah yeah and you'll just work in circles and you know it really is i just said you know i want to do this and i just made some phone calls and next thing i know it's wednesday night and people are bringing canned goods and non-perishables by the how was attendance of the first one i missed it oh it was really nice there were kids everywhere oh, that's running good. around oh it was so and that beautiful. one was the first one didn't get a lot of notice yeah the next two have a, plenty of time to get the word out yeah so yeah no, i'm i'm just so excited it's just that's again watching the kids run through the the park 
the people bringing canned goods to where I had to run home and get more bins. Like, that is what this is all about. Yeah. And, you know, maybe running for office, I couldn't do that. But now I just, trailblazing, just do it. This That's is, why I stopped running for office because yeah. I felt I could do more not running for office. I could put out newspapers. I can do do things. This yeah. newspaper is more, you know, um, influential than any particular board member and any of the boards. You know, if, if we feel really strongly about something, we could really steer the conversation in a particular way. Um, so, yeah, I felt like my energy was better spent um, elsewhere than in politics, but it, it was a hard lesson to learn, and it took many years. But uh, Well, I'm happy to help you with your paper. When I was in third grade, uh, we took a field trip to the original printing press okay. over there. On Salem? Yep. Okay. And we saw how they printed the papers. Uh, they put our picture in the paper holding it up. <laughs> um, and... You know, I, I would, yeah, I would have been in third grade, yeah, third grade, and when it, going in, seeing it, and having the copy come home with us, and learning how it's made, and then now I've written for the paper, I'm here talking to the, the owner-operator of the paper, again, it's just a lot of things come full circle, I still have that exact paper, it's yellowed yeah. now, but I keep it in a plastic cover, again, print for posterity, and the value that goes into a printed paper becomes priceless the longer it goes on. Mm -hmm. So for the Greenwich Journal, that for me is a legacy, and I want to continue to support it because I went to the original printing building, and now I know the people who live there and what they've done to preserve the building. Mm -hmm. And it is. It comes down to the printed, tangible object, creating the, the personal intrinsic value of supporting that. And I hope that I can only continue to support the paper. <laughs> oh, yeah, that would be great. I appreciate the help. And, and this would, you know, this there's a reason why people still want their college diploma or their high school diploma on paper or their, their license or everything is still on paper. There's a reason for money. You know, why are some things still paper? Um, but, yeah, it does have that permanence. There's a room right, we're in the Greenwich Library right now. There's a room right next door to us that has hundreds of years of archives of the Salem yeah. Press and the Greenwich Journal and some other papers that have come and gone. Um, so yeah, it's a really, it's a really important, I think, endeavor and it can be kept going as long as we, you know, keep it simple. I don't know if we'll ever open a, an office again, but, um, you know, that would be nice. We'd have to have a major change in, uh, circumstances, but yeah, no, that, that could be something in the future too. And we could have Cub Scouts and such visit and, uh, and, you know, play around with the equipment. All right, well, it was very nice to have you here. And um, in case you joined late or you forgot, it was uh, Leif Tigerson, and she's a Greenwich resident, mother of six children, including three triplets who are only one years old, and um, uh, has a concert series going on in town. Um, and you'll see her name in our paper. You know, if you buy the current edition, she has a column right now about a visit to a, a village meeting. And, um, and you'll see her name in the paper, I'm sure, many more times in the future. <laughs> So thank you for coming today. Thanks, Darren. Okay.